being asked to do something hard, to do something very hard, to do something you have no idea how to do, and asked to do something you know is impossible. These are questions that we've talked about the last couple of weeks in conjunction with the call from God for us to be holy. Now, numerous times in Scripture, God says, you be holy because God is holy. And over the last couple of weeks, we've tried to unpack what that meant. Now, ultimately, last week, we really drove home the point that only through Jesus can we ever be seen as holy in God's eyes. Only through Jesus' finished work on the cross at Calvary can we ever even begin to claim a sinless, righteous, sanctified life. Only, can we, uh, only through Christ can we claim that. Now, we looked at a couple of verses last week that drove this point home, and I think those are up on the screen. Uh, first is this, Ephesians 3, or 1, 3 to 4. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. We saw that verse last week. We also saw Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. It says, And through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, you who were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, last week I talked about Christ picking us up on his back and carrying us across this imaginary line in the sand from the sinner unholy side to the holy side. Now, once we have come to that understanding, once we have come to accept that gift from Christ, that grace from Christ, there's the tendency or there's the possibility that we could start thinking that, well, if it's only through Jesus' finished work on the cross, then I guess there's nothing else for me to do. I mean, there's the tendency to think, I guess there's no work, no effort that I can put forth, so why try? I mean, even if I do try, there's the risk of me thinking it's me making myself holy, so therefore I'll live and I'll do however and whatever I please. There's that risk. But there's a problem with that. In fact, there's a couple of problems. The first is it goes directly against the teaching of Scripture. Romans chapter 6 Verse 1 and 2, Paul says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in sin? So we're told by the inspired word of God not to continue to live however we want. Now the second problem with this line of thinking that we could do anything we wanted is that God, through Scripture, tells us countless times, to pursue holiness. He tells us to work at it. He tells us that we have a role to play. Now, we saw this verse several times last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Paul writes, Because we have these promises, dear friends, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. You see in that verse there's something for us to do. Paul writes about this again when he writes Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Rather, Paul says, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people, and we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Romans chapter 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to your sinful desires. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, Paul says, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy or you will become sanctified. Every single one of these verses shows us that there's work we must do. There's something we must put effort forth toward in our pursuit of holiness. Of course, this takes us back to the questions of, have you ever been asked to do something hard or very hard or or near impossible? Well, we know that the near impossible is done. Christ's work on the cross took care of that. But there is now the hard work that we're supposed to do. So the question for today is how? How are we supposed to live holy lives? How are we supposed to pursue holiness? Now, this being the fourth week in this holiness series, I'm I'm guessing that by now you're thinking, come on, Pastor James, give me the manual. Tell me the instructions. Give me the directions for holy living. Tell me what to do and not do. Let's see if we can get to a little bit of that this morning. Okay, some nuts and bolts, or some bolts and nuts, if you want to call it like that. I think that one of the biggest things we need to remember in our pursuit of holiness is who is offended when we sin. One of the biggest things we need to do in our pursuit of holiness is to remember who is offended when we sin. Now, there's got to be a better way to explain this. When we were little, and still today, one of the best tactics for getting kids to behave was the sticker chart. Somebody say amen. Yeah, you guys just said that because I told you to. A sticker chart. I think I had it. I know my kids had times where they had it. Frankly, there's times when I want to give us as adults a sticky chart. Okay? Tim, I heard that you helped some person with their groceries on the way to the car. Congratulations, you get a gold star. Miss Esther, I heard that back in the day you volunteered for Awana and you helped so patiently with those kids who didn't want to say their verses. You get a gold star. Bill, Bill. You know what? I heard rumor that you bit your tongue when your great-granddaughter spilled cranberry juice all over your new white carpet in your fifth wheel. 
you get two gold stars. <laughs> Sticker charts work, especially for people like me who are externally motivated. Yeah, give me a medal and I'm going to run, right? In our pursuit of holiness, if we have a sticker chart mentality, we miss the point. In our pursuit of holiness, if we have a sticker chart mentality, we miss the point. If when we sin, we're bummed because we can't put our gold star on our holy today chart, then holiness becomes about us. It becomes selfish. It becomes us striving to live a sin-free life because we get bonus points. That's missing the point. Instead, we must remember who we offend when we sin. When we sin, it's an offense against a holy God. When we sin, it grieves the heart of a heavenly father. When we sin, we do damage to a relationship. We don't simply lose a star on our sticker chart. Now, there's several people in, in Scripture who realized this. Some are obvious. King David is one of those obvious examples. You, you know his story. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed. Nathan the prophet had to confront him. And when David's eyes were opened widely, listen to what he cried. He said, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean. Purify my sin, for I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night against you, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. David didn't cry out, or at least he didn't pen on pen and paper. He didn't cry out, Bathsheba, I have sinned against you. He recognized that his sin was an affront against God. Good story in the Old Testament. We know this story also, the story of Joseph. Now, because of Joseph's dreams, his brothers got a little bit upset. Okay? They sold him into slavery. He ended up working in the house of Potiphar. He did really well in that house. And it didn't take long for Potiphar's wife to take a liking to this handsome, muscle-bound Hebrew slave. Now, so she began putting, uh, she began dropping pickup lines and making advances towards him. Do you remember Joseph's response to her? Genesis chapter 39, verse 9. He says, no one has more authority here than I do. He's talking to her right now. He says, Potiphar has held nothing back from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing against Potiphar? Does he write that? No. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. He knew who his sin would be against. A few chapters earlier, remember the story of Abraham. Well, Famine hit. So Abraham marched down to Egypt with his wife. He said, hey, wife, tell them you're my sister because I don't want them to kill me. And, and she told him that. And the king took a liking to her and took her to the castle to put her in her harem. And God came to him in a dream, to the king, King Abimelech. In the dream, Abimelech pleaded innocent. And God responded, Genesis chapter 20, he says, yes, I know you are innocent. That's why I kept you from sinning against me. God said, and why I didn't let you touch her. A sin against God, not Abraham, not Sarah. At least it's not written like that. Fast forward to the New Testament, another well-known story, uh, the prodigal son. Even all the things that he did wrong, 
It was evident to him he knew who he sinned against. Listen to a speech that he recited on his walk home to tell his father. He said, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Our sins, they are offenses against God. They damage relationship. And until we come to the full realization of that, the understanding of that, we run the risk of attempting sticker chart holiness. And that just doesn't work. When I was somewhere between third grade and fifth grade, my twin sister and I got into a heated argument in the hallway. I don't remember what we fought about, but I remember very vividly yelling at the top of my lungs that I'd move out in an instant if I could. At just that moment, my mom walked around the corner and etched on the tablets of my memory is her face. It was a look of grief. It was a look of pain. And she simply said to me, that hurts, James, that really hurts. For months, even as a young kid, I didn't say anything flippant. Imagine if we realized that that was how it was with God. Every time we sinned, big or small, discovered or secret sins, imagine if we could hear God say, my child, that hurts. That really hurts. In our pursuit of holiness, we must remember who we offend when we sin. We offend a holy God. We grieve the heart of a heavenly Father. We do damage to a relationship. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that point. Fair enough? Let's continue. And as we do, I'm going to ask you to do something a little unorthodox. Go ahead and close your Bibles. Grab the green book. It's a hymnal under the chair in front of you. Looks something like this. Go ahead and open to page 656. I'm not going to lead you in singing, okay? We've already sung this song this morning. Doug's very thankful that I'm not going to lead you in singing. (laughs) Hymn number 656. To him called Take Time to Be Holy. We sang this song today during our service. We sang it during formation hour, or not formation hour, during the gathering last week. And as I've thought about the nuts and bolts of holiness, I kept being drawn back to this hymn. It's got some great content in it. The writer of the lyrics was William Longstaff. He was a well-to-do businessman in the 1800s and is believed he penned these words in the late 1880s and they're just as applicable to us today as they were back then. So this morning we're going to learn from the hymn and we're going to look at a bunch of scripture. That's why I'm having you open the hymnals and close your Bibles. All the scripture is listed in your bulletins. You can go back and look at it later if you want. Right now, just keep your hymnals open. Okay? The nuts and bolts of pursuing holiness found in the hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. First is this. Even in our God-sanctioned pursuit of holiness, even in our human attempts that we are called to make, we must always remember that even the motivation for holiness comes from God. Even the motivation comes from God. We cannot tighten our fists. We cannot clench our jaws. We cannot just do it ourselves. The third verse of this song begins, take time to be holy. Let him be thy guide. Now the fourth verse, Longstaff writes, thus 
led by his spirit. It's God's work. God's nudging that even gets to gets us to the point where we want to pursue holiness. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of this several different places. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's pretty clear. Galatians chapter 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Romans chapter 8, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. The end of Hebrews chapter 13, a great benediction, the author says, may God equip you for all you need to do his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. Our desire to pursue holiness comes from, it is the work of God through his spirit. So even we can't take credit for that. Make sense? That's one of the nuts and bolts. Second one, next point. Our holiness is a result of, it comes from, it stems out of, an abiding in the Father, an abiding in Jesus. The hymn begins in verse 1. Take time to be holy, speak oft with the Lord, abide in him always. Now verse 2, second line, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus like him thou shalt be. We cannot. Live a life of holiness that is not rooted in regular, intentional abiding in the Lord. We cannot live a life of holiness unless we're abiding in the Lord. And this is mostly done in private. Whether it's within the confines of our own heart, the solitude of our own heart, or the physical being away from other people. Great Old Testament example of this is the story of Daniel. We see his habit of prayer, talking to God. It's a habit that ultimately got Daniel invited to a slumber party with lions. Daniel chapter 6. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its window open to Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Daniel was speaking oft with the Lord. He was abiding in the Lord, just as the hymn says. Now, Jesus demonstrated the same abiding in the Gospel of Mark early on. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up, went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. After the apostles returned from a ministry tour of duty, he said to them in Mark 6, he said, let's, let's go off by ourselves. Let's go to a quiet place. Let's rest a while. What he's saying is let's go abide in the Father. Now, we can't talk about abiding without mentioning John chapter 15. Because in verses 1 to 8, multiple times Jesus says, abide in me. Now, why does he say that to the disciples? Because well, he says you'll produce much fruit. Now, what kind of fruit? Now, things like love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
goodness, self-control, they would live lives of obedience. And if you're living a life of obedience, you're living a life of holiness. Abiding in God. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with the Lord. Abide in him always, in the next few words, and feed on his word. Feed on his word. In the third verse of the song, Longstaff writes, and looking to Jesus, trust in his word. This is the next bit of the nuts and bolts of pursuing holiness that we learn from this hymn. It would be very hard, very hard, if not near impossible, for us to live a life of holiness without spending much time in Scripture. Jerry Bridges wrote the best-selling book, Pursuing Holiness, or excuse me, The Pursuit of Holiness, and in it he says this. He says, there's absolutely no shortcut to holiness that bypasses or gives little priority to a consistent intake of the Bible. No shortcut to holiness. You must have Scripture. The Lord was speaking through the prophet Isaiah when he says this. He says, I'll bless those who have a humble and contrite heart and who tremble at my word. You want to know what God's word is? It's right here. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My child, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we are not sinning against God, we are living a life of holiness. There's many different ways we can spend time in Scripture. One is through hearing it preached or taught. You get to do that just about every Sunday morning. Jeremiah 3.15, God says this. He says, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. So they'll preach, they'll teach. Now, we also need to spend time reading Scripture ourselves. Deuteronomy 17, verse 19, uh, he was speaking to the king. God said he must always keep the copy of the law with him, and he must read it daily as long as he lives. That way we will learn to fear the Lord, that he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of the instructions and decrees. Before Joshua was sent in to conquer the promised land, God told him in Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything that's written in it. Spend time in God's Word, preached or taught, read yourselves, but more than just read, you must study it. You must memorize it. Both of these, all of these will lead you to a life of holiness. We saw 119, Psalm 119, 11 uh, moments ago. Listen to verse 15 and 16, same chapter. The psalmist said, I will study your commandments. And reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. Not forget. I'll memorize your word. The old hymn says, feed on his word. Trust in his word. Be people of the book. That's a nut and bolt of pursuing holiness. Now, there's two final gems in this hymn number 656 that I want to show you today. Now, there's way more than that, but two that I want to look at as we attempt to pursue holiness. The first is this. Holiness is not always seen, at least visibly. It's not always seen. Our thought life, our internal dialogue are part of our pursuit of holiness. 
fourth verse of the hymn begins, Take time to be holy, be calm in thy soul, each thought and each motive beneath his control. Each thought and each motive. There's an old saying that talks about sowing and reaping, okay, like sowing seeds and what you'll get out of that. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Holiness takes place in your thought life. The unseen portion of you. That's why the Apostle Paul told the church in Ephesus, he said, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, he told the church in Philippi, he said, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The hymn says, Each thought and each motive beneath his control. This little gem from the hymn, that holiness is not always seen. One final gem. Holiness is always seen. Holiness is always seen. Third verse. Make friends. Excuse me, third line of the first verse. Make friends with God's children. Help those who are weak. And then the fourth line of the second verse, thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Your friends, in the way you act, will see God. That's what's that saying. In this entire four-week series, I've spent a fair amount of time focused on us, on our jobs, our set-apartness, our sacredness, and how that affects our relationship with God, one thing we must never forget is that our actions may be the only example of God somebody will ever see. We may be the only Jesus somebody will ever interact with. And the author of the book of Hebrews nails this point. Hebrews 12, verse 14. He says, work at living at peace with everyone and work at living a holy life For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Work at living a holy life. life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Even in our own personal attempts, our own pursuit of holiness, we must remember that others are watching. The pastor before me used to always say, we are not just saved from something, We are saved for something. And I've got to believe that a lot of what we are saved for is so that others will have a chance to see God. So that others will have a chance to experience a relationship with Christ. Thy friends in thy conduct, his likeness shall see. Now I'm sure that I could keep going. I'm sure there's a lot more in this hymn, and there's a ton more in Scripture that we could talk about holiness. And and I won't go more this morning. But in thinking about what I just said, in thinking about the nuts and bolts that I've laid out, I've realized that I have not given you a bunch of do's and don'ts. I haven't told you, don't drink fermented drinks. 
Don't go to movies that are beyond PG. I haven't given you a bunch of do's and don'ts. I've pointed you to the book. I've pointed you to the Spirit of God. I believe that the Spirit of God lives in us and that that Spirit will guide us. And I believe that if we take the things I've said seriously this morning, that we will genuinely be in pursuit of holiness. When we remember that it's God's heart that we grieve when we sin, when we remember that it's God's Spirit who's motivating us to pursue holiness, when we seek to abide in the Lord, when we spend ample time in God's Word, when we're purposeful in our thought life, when we remember that others are liking, that they're watching, and when we take time to be holy, we'll be pursuing holiness. The rest of the do's and don'ts, you'll be able to figure out. I meant to print something on the, on the back of your insert in your bulletin. I completely spaced it. Okay, so I'm going to send something out via email tomorrow. But it's a little four-question thing about how we can use Scripture to figure out the things that are not listed in Scripture, whether or not we can or can't do, whether or not we should or shouldn't do. Okay, I'll give you, I'll just give it to you now, and then I'll send it out, and we'll make some copies so you can pick up next week. Four-question practical guide. Uh, I got this from the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, as to how we can allow Scripture to help us discern what to do or not do and thus pursue holiness. First thing, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. So we need to ask ourselves a question before we do something. Is this physically, is, is this helpful? Physically, spiritually, mentally. Okay? Straight out of Scripture. Ask that question. Okay? Next thing. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So the second question we ask ourselves, does it bring me under its power? We'll, we'll, we'll give you examples of this in a second. Third question. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brothers to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. So the third question to ask ourselves is, does it hurt others? And the fourth thing, 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So the fourth question we can ask is, does it glorify God? So we're pursuing holiness, we're abiding in the Father, we're realizing it's Him motivating us, we're spending much time in the Word, and we have a question of, should I play Pokemon Go? Yeah, the kids are laughing. It's a genuine question. And so we take ourselves through this. Everything is permissible for me. Yes, I can play. But not everything is beneficial. So we ask the question, is it helpful physically, spiritually, mentally? Well, how much time am I playing Pokemon Go? Am I trying to drive while playing Pokemon Go? Is it taking away from my time in the Word while playing Pokemon Go? For those that don't know what Pokemon Go is, huge hit around the, around the world. Just It's something you play on your phone. Okay, so continuing with this, everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Does it bring me under its power? Do I find that the only thing I'm ever thinking about is Pokemon Go? When I wake up, when I go to bed, is that the last thing in my mind and the first thing, the first thought? Third thing, does it cause somebody else to stumble? Does it hurt others? Do you have a friend who is adamant? that playing this game is, is a sin against God. I'd recommend not playing this game around them. Okay? 
Fourth question, does it glorify God? Again, take it from Scripture. It's a question you have to answer. So uh, that's the type of example. You know, you, you, can, you can ask these questions for all sorts of other things. Should I, should I watch this TV show? Should I have this sort of conversation with a friend? Should I do this? Should I do that? I, it's not specifically listed as a sin in Scripture, but I don't know what to do. Ask those four questions. And again, I'll, I'll get this to you. We are pursuing holiness. It is so much more than a list of do's and don'ts. But it's something that God calls us to countless times. Be holy because I am holy, God says. Let's pursue. There's my practical application this week. Pursue holiness. Let's pray. Father, this whole pursuit of holiness is is way bigger than we can even wrap our minds around. And yet, numerous times, you tell us to pursue it. You tell us to be holy like you are holy. So, God, we want to commit to that. We want to commit to pursuing this life of holiness. Help us to do that. Lord, draw us. Continue to to spur us. We've seen already that you are the one that, that motivates us. So continue to motivate us towards this life. Help us realize this is a sin against you when we sin. Help us to spend time in your word. Help us to abide in you. Help us to realize that how we act, what we say, what we do, that's examples of you. And we need to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people who are watching. Lord, we want to be a holy people, not just because our our denomination is, is from a holiness line, but we want to be a holy people because you're a holy God and you've called us to this. So help us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to sing the doxology twice. Let's stand while we